0: Hello, and welcome to The Domain of Women, a podcast highlighting the stories and ideas of women in social sciences. I'm Olivia Mayner, and today I have a little bonus episode for you. In every interview that I did, I asked my guests to tell me about a woman in their field that they admire. I wasn't sure how to fit their responses into the regular episodes, so I figured a bonus episode was in order. You'll be hearing from Claire Wilkinson, Anna Goldfield, Amber Zambelli, Dr. Sanjana Narainen, and Annalise Hines. And if you haven't checked out each of my interviews with them, go back and take a listen. This is definitely going to be more of a chill episode, so I'll just let you listen to what they had to say. Here is anthropologist Claire Wilkinson's response to who is a woman in your field that you admire.
1: Um, yeah, there's um, there's actually a woman in my field. Her name is Judith Oakley. She was actually a professor at the University of Durham University when I first went to do my undergraduate degree. And then she left after a year um, uh, and went to a different institution. And then I reconnected with her later on as an adult. Um, and then we've remained friends. But it reminds me, I need to write to her because obviously with COVID, you know, there's a lot of people I haven't seen for a long time. And I mean, she was a very... Um, Uh, path-breaking anthropologist in many ways because she actually did write very much about personal things and how those kind of connected to her professional life and um, uh, I I think it's been interesting because there's a lot of people who have who have been disparaging about her for that reason and saying oh you know you can't do that and whatever whereas again I think when you have male anthropologists you do that I don't they don't seem to be hit by that quite so much. Although, you know, obviously they, they don't do it quite so much either. Um, but she really made some very uh, strong interventions into thinking about doing anthropological field work and, and how you do that, how you engage the senses, how you engage your memory in all kinds of very interesting ways. She, her own basic research is on ROMA, on traveling people, and she wrote some very important work on that. Um, and she sort of kept working. I mean, she must be in her 80s now, and I mean, she's still been publishing. She recently was um, uh, honoured, recognised by the um, British Anthropological Association, which I think was was good because you know that there are definitely people who appreciate her, but you know there are people who are you know who 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 you know, are, are disrespectful towards her. Um, and, uh, I, I just like the fact that she's just not cared and just carried on. (laughs) I wish I could be more like that.
2: Now take a listen to the hosts of the dirt podcast responses. One person that in paleolithic archeology span and specifically in the even more like
3: niche, um, zoo archeology, which is, Studying animal bones to find out things about how people interacted with animals in the past. My um, one of my advisors, who's my external dissertation advisor, Dr. Teresa Steele, who is at the University of California, Davis, is not only um, a, a prodigious, you know, scholar and researcher and just like really excellent human being, but is very um, she tends to, she really elevates women in the field and among her own advisees, really um, tries to make sure that they are connected to other sort of eminent women scholars. And so, or at least, you know, like you said, fem presenting scholars. And so um, she leads projects. And so she brings people on, um, and, and shows how to kind of lead an archeological project as a woman. Um, and so as a mentor and as a, just kind of like as a, as a person, I really look up to her and also just like, she's a really great researcher. Like she's one of the most fastidious researchers I know, loves a table, <laughs> loves a spreadsheet. Um, but yeah, no, so I, I in every possible way, I, I really respect her.
4: So I can, I will think of, I will give you two people. uh, Just one who had been a, um, so one person who I admire from um, like ancient Near Eastern studies. So her name is Francesca Rochberg and she is an Assyriologist and uh, she's a historian of science also. And so she's she's at the University of California Berkeley and um, she, is she's brilliant, like she's, she's really brilliant and, and also, um, quite nice, uh, which is, is a nice combo to have. (laughs) Not always things that go together. Um, but she, like when I say she's really brilliant, um, like she, like sometimes the MacArthur genius grant is like a bit of a swing and miss, um, but she was a recipient and like Like a well-deserved one. So she is a genius. Um, and so something that, but something that I admire about her is um, in addition to her like brilliant academic work on like truly some of the like most impossible to understand things. Like she does like history of, of science and like history of math and like history of astronomy in, ba- in like Babylonian astronomy. And and she has this theory of her book before nature of this idea of sort of like understanding science and like the Mesopotamian mind. Um, just like very, like Matt's already hard, very complex things that she works on. Um, she also, um, has published fiction and, and like very, um, introspective and vulnerable fiction. And I remember learning this when I was a grad student and, and I was just like, respect like mad respect for that um because that was something that at the time I didn't really realize like that that is that is very much like what I want to do I want to be in um I want to do both fiction liter like literature literature and then like research and like academic writing and the fact that she like melded the two um I find um very impressive but also she's a genius so but so which is what brings me to like somebody that like I I definitely admire right now. Um, and that is- that is... likely to change? No, no, no. I mean oh, like just... the the sort of like a holdover from when I was a student, okay. but somebody that Sorry. I admire now, um, as the person I am now um, is uh, Steph Helmhofer. Yes. Um, so, so Stephanie Helmhofer is a, so she is a um, Canadian archeologist and uh, she's a graduate student. She's a PhD student. Um at the University of Alberta.
3: Okay, I was gonna say I forget it's the, where the but...
4: um the Institute of of uh, Um, I think Indigenous and Prairie Archaeology, Prairie Archaeology, um at the University, like that's that's the big one. So she's huh. she's a member of that institute and she is like her research is uh really like fun and brilliant, and she looks she's at cool. um uh, pseudo-archaeology and the archaeology of new religious movements um in canada so she works specifically on brother 12 which is a very a very very specific and niche cult um that's based in that was based i don't know if it still exists oh. um well certainly at like to google in the time of brother 12 like the the actual like proprietor of it um was on um vancouver island victoria in What's british the, british columbia the islands the the island which vancouver victoria might be on vancouver island it is. i don't know yeah. great so it there is. there that's where yeah. it is See, yeah, I pay attention mm-hmm. um so she does this research but she also does so much work in the realm of um on twitter and in conversations on podcasts and in her and like uh, popular writing, work countering misinformation and um, sort of anti-science and pseudoscience. Just um, really
3: like breaking things down and laying out the the underpinnings and explaining why pseudoscience and and pseudo-archaeology is is directly yeah. harmful,
4: like causes yeah, harm. It's it's not it like it isn't just like a, a way to like rile up pedants. It's like a it actually is like. Okay. is harmful and hurtful um, and there are actual victims in, in sort of its perpetuation. Um, so those are all great reasons to admire her. I also admire her because she is this established and known for what she does and and out there and available and producing and work. And
3: known as a resource, yeah. and
4: like- And she is, I think going into her third year of graduate school. In the fall. Yeah. She's like, Um, well, yeah. So I think she's going to her third year and she um, went back to school after a decade away. And so I find her to be such an inspiration as someone who, because I just like in, in thinking about going back to school, I, I just feel like old, I feel like old and out of touch and like washed up and all these things when, like, when, like, actually, like, I don't understand how anybody accepted me when I was a 20 year year old who like didn't know anything. Um, But that was what they wanted. (laughs) And so just like going through like this, like emotional experience of, of um, both an experience of emotions and one that was quite emotional. Um, (laughs) And it's like, I have, I appreciate Steph's work and Steph's presence um, so much more than I I think I would if I were anyone else uh, and not that I appreciate her more than anyone, but just like the very specific like blend of of qualities about her that um she's she's known. she is a known quantity and she's young in her career and after a gap and you know, she's she not
3: such cool stuff and
4: it's not like the like the Wonderkind sort of like, getting your PhD by 25 and tenure by 30, like dream that, um, basically no one, no one like achieves anymore, but that kind of, I like, she is not on the schedule of sort of like
2: the ideal trajectory. And now let's hear from linguistic anthropologist, Sandhya Narayanan.
5: Oh, there's several. Um, I mean, I, I guess like it goes without saying like Jane Hill, the late, the late and great Jane Hill, I, I admire a lot. Um, and mostly because her her career, you know, her, she, her career and her fieldwork and her research area and interests sort of spanned a large gamut of different types of topics from again, like contact linguistics and multilingualism to like language endangerment, to even her work on language and racism. And, and I sort of, and like the I, I work on things in all of those areas but a lot of it would not have been possible without her really um, same with like you know Ele, you know Eleanor Oaks, uh, Judith Irvine, Susan gal, you know these are individuals and then of course um, Marcelina Morgan right these are individuals who who had these research interests um, and it took them, you know, wherever they needed to go to do their research, but they, but they did it in a way and they've written things in a way that are both ethnographically rigorous and, and address issues of language, but also present really interesting insights about how to think about that relationship between language society in the long run. Um, yeah, so those are a lot of the folks I admire. Uh, and then, of course, I, I'm a student of Barbara Meek as well. And, and, and I, I've been fortunate through her as well to sort of get a lot of this training and these insights about how to see the world. And I think like one thing that's that's also common amongst all of them is there's a kind of curiosity, you know, um, not that I ever met Jane Hill personally, but from, you know, her students who, who are also like people who train me, there is, there everyone talks about like, her energy and intellectual curiosity, but for all these women, it's the same. Like there's a the kind of energy and intellectual curiosity that they all share, um, and for me, like I, I don't think I ever met others like that, uh, especially and especially like women to have that kind of combination of energy and and breath of curiosity and and the ability to through that curiosity energy to like put things together and see how things connect together I I, you know I I I'm always in awe of it um but I also find it you know really inspiring because again like I didn't have many role models like that growing up so to then get it and to come in contact with those individuals later on in life was always Uh, you know, it was eye-opening and inspiring and aspirational for me to be like, no, no, I I can be like that, and that is fine, and that is okay.
2: And finally, here's who historian Annalise Hines admires.
6: There are so many. (laughs) I'm I'm really uh, incredibly grateful to and constantly inspired by um, the women who have come before me as as historians. Um, But I will uh, just say someone close to home, who is my graduate advisor, um, Estelle Friedman, she is retiring now. um, And uh, I just helped organize a a small conference in her honor in feminist history. Um, And it was an incredible uh, opportunity to see how her work has shaped um, not only key fields like history of um, gender, history of feminisms, history of sexuality, history of um, uh, women through an intersectional lens, uh, but also how much her mentoring has really shaped generations of uh, historians and particularly historians of gender. And connected us to each other, so one of the things that I really admire her for um, is her view of mentoring as a kind of feminist praxis and the word praxis means um, putting philosophy into action. So uh, how you actually um, support people who are in a very isolating and hierarchical system of graduate school and academia to Make sure that they are um, connected and feeling like they have a place in that system, and that they know how to, who to turn to and how to ask for support and be supported in turn. And that is an incredible gift and something that each of us who had worked with her, whether or not everyone was her kind of primary advisee, everyone who had worked with her had experienced that and learned from her and were passing it on to their students and junior faculty in their um, departments. And at the same time, her scholarship also has really transformed um, the field. And so when I was talking about my undergraduate experience of like having my mind blown open and just like, oh my gosh, this is, I have to learn about everything. I have to rethink everything. I'm, I'm just really seeing how much was made invisible um, and naturalized her, I was reading her books in part that those are some of the books that um, really changed my life. Um, and through the intellectual questions that it was provoking and the evidence that that she was providing through historical research, but also again, so, so many other people. Um, and uh, it was, um, it's her, her work has really shaped the uh, the ability for historians to pursue questions related to things like the history of sexuality, which before the 1980s was really seen as as not a legitimate field at all, that that would be a realm of psychology, individual kinds of business. Um, That was not at all a set of historical questions that uh, was seen as important or like I said, even legitimate.
2: Part of the reason why I asked my guests about who they admire is because I greatly admire all of them. I also really admire my co-host Gyoka because not only was she super helpful and provided great insight for this podcast, but she is just one of my favorite people to be around. I am so grateful to have such a wonderful female role model in my life. That is all for this episode. I hope you liked hearing from all of these incredible people. Their responses were too good not to share, and I'm glad that I was able to find a space for them. Like I mentioned in the conclusion, I'm planning on doing a season two, so if you or someone else you know would like to chat with me about what it means to be a woman in the social sciences, please reach out. You
0: can find me on Twitter at Olivia N. Maynard for podcast updates and other upcoming projects. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Bye! (laughs)